Again, it is a privilege to have you with me as we enter in to our last uh, session, our fourth session. I trust that insight and accompanying grace and mercy uh, has been realized to you in our prior three sessions. This is a subject that's difficult to talk about, but it is a subject that in the days that we are living in, which I believe are the last days, it is a subject of uh, really that of profound significance. You know, God always gives grace and mercy in anything that he shares. In his mercy, he lets us know what's going on so we can deal with it. In his grace, he gives us the ability to deal with it. And uh, all I can say is this. A lot of people think ignorance is bliss, but it's not. A lot of people say, you know what, uh, I'm not, I, I, I can't fight against it, it's too much. That's a lie. One person can change so much. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. In our last session, we're going to talk about narcissism and its impact on society. One of the things that is most disturbing is in the context of prevalence. It would be one thing, you know, for the testimonies that I shared that to be uh, atypical, but they're not atypical. They're an exemplification of that which affects millions and is increasing daily. I'm not trying to be negative, I'm trying to be honest. But where there is sin, where there is destruction, God says, I will always raise a standard. I will give provision to destroy the enemy. And what the enemy has meant for evil, I will turn around and use for good. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at the second Psalm as it is of the utmost significance. You know, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he himself personally uh, engaged with the disciples of Emmaus in Luke 24, specifically from the Psalms, sharing through the Psalms of his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Mm, I, I tell you, the Psalms cannot be underestimated. Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says this, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and take a stand. The rulers take counsel together against God himself and against his anointed. The body of Christ is the anointed. Saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will decree the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day mm, have I begotten thee. goes on to say, Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth. For their possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Be wise now, therefore, O you kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. I want you to understand something. In the last days, Christians, according to the Bible, are going to be the most hated people on the earth. And the reason for this is intrinsic to this Psalms. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You know, when Jesus shared light with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees and the religious likened unto them, they tried to kill him over and over again. They actually took him to a high place of a city to murder him, to cast him down from this high place because they did not want his influence. They did not want him to control them. They did not want him to be Lord. They wanted to be their own gods. And Jesus walked through their midst. I'm here to tell you something you might not like to hear. People aren't naturally nice, but evil. They may appear naturally nice, but I'm going to tell you something. Evil is within men that is despicable. And the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, it's beyond any words can describe. It is virtually infinite, even as it comes directly from the evil within the devil himself. Some people say, I don't like to hear that. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what you like to hear. What matters is what's truth. In the last days, you see, Christians are the only thing that holds back evil. I'm going to tell you something. There is evil that is becoming greater and greater in the context of absolutes being modified and even negated. In this country, the United States, and abroad throughout the earth. People are in a place where they want to do what they want to do. They won't want to be told by anyone at any time in any way what is truth. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In most universities now, which are very humanistic, the professors, the administrators, they sign their stationery, my truth. Most of them are they're liberal in general. Everything's my truth, my truth, my truth. I went to a professor recently. I said, who made you God? He said, what do you mean? I said, everything's your truth. I said, there's only one that's truth, and his name is Jesus Christ, and that's not your name. He said, 
I determine truth. For me, I said Jesus Christ determines truth for all. Well, you know what he said to me? He said, you're a troublemaker. You're infringing on my rights. I said, you have a right to believe like you want. But your belief will cause you to be in hell for eternity. There's only one God. And you're not him. And these last days, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, every society that has entered into a spirit of narcissism has fallen. And it's knocking at your door to let it rain, to become part of it. And in the mercy of God, he's crying out to you today to take a stand against the spirit of narcissism. Again, the spirit of narcissism, as we read in 2 Timothy 3, 1, 1 to 4, and throughout the Bible, is a spirit of the devil himself that says it can be all about you. It should be all about you. You determine what truth is. So you can do what you want. There are in different countries of the world now legislation being uh, trying to be pushed through uh, legislatures throughout the world to make incest legal. You say that's crazy. Believe me, if things continue to accelerate like they are, it will become the norm for so many. In the United States, we want to decrease the age of consent from 18 to 16 to 15 to 14 maybe. My truth, he's, she's my child, my truth. I can do whatever I want to him or her. It's my truth. See, if it's my truth, then I'm not responsible for upholding a standard and absolute. Being, as some chapter 2 says, being held by their bands, their cords, Who's the one that holds them? It's you and I and the body of Christ that says this is illegal, this is wrong. You can't have sex with a 14-year-old kid. You can't use heroin and, and, and on the street like you want to. You can't lie and steal and murder and get away with it. People want to be God. Adam and Eve, the reason they ate of the fruit was so they could control and determine what was right and what was wrong. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a tree that now that they were in control of so they could determine good and evil. The spirit of the first Adam that fell is in the spirit of every unsaved person on the earth today 
and is knocking at the door of those who have been saved by the second Adam, that they may transgress and relinquish and exchange the glory of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, back to the first, like the first Adam. It is all about people wanting to be free in the context of what they say freedom is. Free to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. Free to have sex when I want to have sex, no matter with whoever, how, whatever the age. Free to do the drugs I want to do. Free to make, raise my kids when I want, how I want to, even to their detriment. Free to destroy babies in the womb. Oh, some people, I'm going to turn that off right now. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus was in the womb. And when Jesus Christ was in the womb, John the Baptist, who was in the womb, was Elizabeth. The Bible says, picked up that it was Jesus in the womb of Mary when he was six months in the womb and rejoiced and praised God that he could sense his Messiah in the womb of Mary. You're telling me he wasn't alive? That if someone would have killed him, then it wouldn't have been murder? Are you kidding me? I guess you know better. Well, look at that. I'm not here to play church. Notice in, at the end of Psalm 2, it talks about entering into the fear of God. You will be judged now and for eternity by the decisions that you make. Christians will be the most hated people on the earth and if they wanted to destroy Jesus and murder him, you don't think they're going to want to murder you? So they can do what they want. God has provision so the enemy doesn't take over the earth because what Jesus shed his blood for isn't to be given away. The kingdom is God's. And the prayer commonly referred to as the Our Father. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the glory. Thine is the power. But the Bible says that this kingdom is manifested on the earth through the body of Christ. Those who are blood washed. Those who assertively and violently stand up for it. Rather than cowardly running away from the enemy. All right. But that is our introduction and our foundation. I want you to understand that the world is accepting narcissism. The world is entering into a spirit of narcissism because they think it's freedom and because they want to enter in to being God. They want to control. They want to manipulate. They want to be worshipped. They want to be as gods. <clears throat> and Satan's right there. They say, follow me, and I'll give it to you. Get all the sex you want, all the drugs you want, all the prestige you want, all the political positions you want. All the wives you want. 
all the husbands you want. And there is no hell. So just enjoy your narcissism. All right. This is the key to the battle that we face. Number one, they want no absolutes. The Ten Commandments to them are a joke. And the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions. They're the foundations of life. Someone says, well, they're, e they're evil under this time of grace. We don't have to worry about them. I'm going to tell you something. By grace, you can keep the commandments and the grace and mercy of God to an extent that society is blessed. Not perfect. That's why we need the blood, but they are our standard. Believe me. Do not murder. Do not enter honoring your parents. The narcissist doesn't honor their parents. It's what they can get from them. Didn't we just read that in 2 Timothy 3? One of the first character traits of a narcissist. May they put them in a home and don't even see them again for 10 years until they want their inheritance. No absolutes in the context of sexuality, in the context of general morality, and in respect for the elderly or the unborn. Whatever's right to you is right. Whatever's right in your own eyes. I'm going to tell you something. There's a way to look at right unto you, and its way is eternal death. There's only one way, and that's the Word of God. And that's why the enemy will come to try through lies to destroy the reality and the validity of the Word of God. Even through so-called theologians. I was just talking to a young man today in a supposedly reputable Bible college, which is no more reputable to me than the man on the moon, where so many professors don't believe in the word of God like they should. Don't believe there's one way to heaven, that there's a hell. But are allowed to teach. I wouldn't give a penny to listen to these men or women. They need to be confronted. And this young man is confronting a professor for not believing in hell, teaching that there's no hell, teaching that, uh, you, you know, that uh, all are saved no matter what they do. And he's the one that might be thrown out of school. No absolutes. Don't judge me. Can I tell you something? The Bible never said not to judge somebody. It says do not judge unrighteously. You have to be fruit inspectors. In fact, the Bible goes so as far as to say, mark them that cause division. How can you mark someone that causes division that's corrupt and hypocritical if you don't judge them? You can't mark them if you don't judge them. Mm. So number one is no absolutes. Number two is murder. I said this and I'll say it again. The spirit of narcissism is correlative with the spirit of murder. Abortion. It doesn't matter about the baby. See, what they try to do 
And a, a, a number of years ago, I mean three decades ago, my wife and I started a pregnancy center in our area, and now it's, it's doing very, very well. And the bottom line is this. Don't look at the baby. I, you know, uh, family planning and, uh, you know, we've sent people to, to, to see what they're like, somebody that was pregnant and, you know, nine times out of ten, or somebody get a pregnancy test. And for example, in Pennsylvania, there's a law that you have to have a sonogram uh, before you get abortion so you can know what you're doing. You can't have an abortion without the sonogram. So what happens is, you know, we have a huge sonogram machine. We not in manipulation, but in truth, we just show the baby. And many, many saves result from it. At the family planning that we sent these girls to, they give the sonogram, but they have the girl turn her head so she never sees the picture of the baby. So, it's, it's some, so they're fulfilling the law of the land, but not letting them see the baby that will be murdered. And I want to tell you something. I'm not condemning those who have had abortion. It's society and it's narcissism that has predisposed people to abortion. At the same time, there's, a, there's accountability as well. But Jesus came to forgive, not to condemn. But it's murder. I've counseled so many people post-abortion counseling. Only Jesus, only Jesus, but Jesus makes them whole again. Abortion, don't look at the baby. Well, you know what? When someone's narcissistic, whether it's the guy pressuring a girl into abortion, whether it's the woman having abortion, it's, it's, all, it's all about you. You know what? They could bring anxiety into your life. They could make it harder for you. Another mouth to feed. Don't look at the baby. Don't consider the baby. Turn your head so you don't see the sonogram. Make it about you, not about the one inside of you. That's narcissism. And let's forget about it. But you can't. Now we're in the infanticide in the state of New York. The governor signed legislation recently in the United States and in different states where the baby can be born and you have a time to let the baby die or take him home. It's called infanticide. Why? Because it's all about whether you feel that they will inconvenience you or benefit you rather than about them being a child of the living God who you're responsible for. And if you don't want that baby, rather than killing it and letting it die, why don't you give it to somebody that wants it, that's craving a baby through the glory of adoption? 
narcissism and murder goes together. Let's let the elderly die rather than prolong their death. Let them die. They're a, on the economy, they're a burden. Their life quality is down. They can't think like they once did. That's number two of what's going on in most societies. Number three, the government wants you dependent on them. Again, the narcissist wants them to have others dependent on them. Governments can be some of the narcissistic individuals and entities that there are. Because once you're dependent on them, they control you and they put in you the mind that's in them so they can be their God. They can be your God. You need them. My God, if I would vote for somebody else, I, I can lose this subsidy. If I would vote for somebody else, I might lose my free cell phone. If I vote for somebody else, I might have to work. I'm not saying that there's, we not, we need to help people that can't work. Believe me, at the same time, when you can work, you're accountable to work. Some people say, well, why am I listening to this? Because Jesus Christ is the truth, and this is not a game. A man says, you don't work, you don't eat. Whew. Let me give you some examples. Gut level. Gender change. You know, what happens is this. People are so narcissistic. They want to be in the end thing. I had a man come to me recently. Very well off, business guy, country club guy with his wife. And he came to me weeping and I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I've uh, let my... Uh, daughter I was pressured by my wife to have her change gender uh, her friend did and I talked to her and I don't think she really wants to but mom really pressured her and said this is who you are and I said well what was the rationale for your wife pressuring your daughter to start these shots she said because it was the end thing at the country club. He said, we had, she told me, we've got th three kids. I want one straight, one gay, and one gender change. Because this is what causes me to have favor at the country club. It's not about their child. It's about her. I can't tell you how many people don't consider their own children but exalt themselves for their benefit. You know, we talk about non-absolutes. I'm in a college town and I had a girl come in. She felt she was being stalked. 
and uh, you know, and I said, okay, and and she turns out she had uh, she was in the thing friends with benefits, meaning that you might meet a, a young man first time you meet him, and you, you do some weed with them, and and then you have sex with them, and you have a good time, friends with benefits. I said, uh, in the semester, there's a uh, hundred days. I said, how many uh, f- friends have you had sex with different guys? She said, I've had sex with about 60 different guys this semester. And she said, you know what? It's not going to affect me because when I want to get married, I'll just put that aside. Well, she's already affected with STDs. She's a mess. And then wonder why she's being stalked. But you see, she's been taught that it's old-fashioned. It's not socially correct to be pure. And she's bought into it. It's friends with benefits. What benefits me? It's a fear of coming against the majority. It's always wanting to be accepted by the majority. Always wanting to be politically correct, socially correct, religiously correct as opposed to the fear of God. But most of all, it's what benefits me. What about me? 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 And Jesus says, what about me? Our society is being plummeted. There are So many individuals right now that are addicted to drugs and their kids get addicted to drugs. And it's a circle, man, that's not broken easily. And when they're on drugs, they will do anything to meet their need. Rather than go to a center to try to get clean, See, well, you don't understand. I, I deal with kids all the time that have been sexually abused, that have been trafficked by their own parents. Man, they rent them out for a weekend so they can get money for their habit. What about the kid? What about the kid? When I'm drugged up, I don't think of my kid. But the bottom line is this. When it's all about you, You'll do anything for you and how you believe it will benefit you. Pornography. Nobody thinks about the kids that make the porn, have to make the porn. I tell you what, you think you're entitled to it. Your wife doesn't give you what you need. Your husband doesn't give you what you need. You think it's a way to meet a need, right? I I tell you what, It's filthy, it's destructive, but you say, man, that makes me feel good. Gives me a vibe that I need. Puts me in a reality that causes me to be esteemed in my pretend reality. It's not that bad. Don't tell me it is, man. It's my truth. Don't tell me it's not hurting anybody. Hurting the kids that are trafficked and made the film. It's destroying your wife because she knows it. Or your husband and your kids to pick up on it and do the same. But you don't think about that, do you? 
because the need for the vibe to satisfy you is stronger than the need to sacrifice and do right. And because it's becoming increasingly prevalent, can't be that bad. Because isn't the majority always right? We're coming to a place where people are going to have to make a decision whether you're going to stand up to this spirit or not because it will rule a nation, it will destroy a nation. You know, think of Rome. Why did they get destroyed? Because they became increasingly narcissistic to the point of destruction. Man, they saw going to the arena and watching... Lions devour people as sports. They went to an arena to watch a person with a sword fight another person on the sword unto someone's death because it gave them a thrill. It gave them a vibe. They came to a place where every sexual perversion was permitted. They came to a place where their, the mind was exalted above the heart and their society was destroyed, even as they desired to control the earth, the world. Well, what about the church? I'm going to tell you something. If you don't think that what's in the world tries to get in the church, you never read the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Whatever is in the world will try to enter into the church. Listen to me. I was just with the pastor recently, a good man who loves God. He wants people saved to know Jesus. He said, I believe I'm going to, my church is going to go seeker-friendly. Now, at the, the connotation you just ascribe to seeker-friendly can determine whether it's okay or not. It's okay to make things palatable to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and the understanding of the gospel. But this man was talking about toning down the need to mention the word blood because it was offensive, even the blood of Jesus. Toning down the truth of the scriptures, toning down true worship, toning down evangelism. And I said, what would you do this for? He said, because I need to have this certain amount, a number of people in my church. And his church was fairly big again to begin with. It was, it was about 300 people. He said, I need. He said, See, it was about him. I need more people. It was under the auspices. The, uh, the rationale was to have more people for Jesus. But he said, I need more people. I need a bigger youth group. I need more staff. I need to be validated. And I told him, you're entering into a spirit of narcissism. You know, Jesus spoke one time in John chapter 6. He had thousands and thousands of followers. And he knew if he spoke on a certain subject, most of them would leave. Obviously, it wouldn't be to his benefit. 
but he spoke it anyway by eating of his flesh, drinking of his blood. Obviously not to be carnivalistic, but to partake of him. And the Bible says that virtually everybody left. 90% of his disciples left. Why did he do it? He did it to benefit them because they thought they were immersed in him when they were not. So rather than causing them to follow him under the guise of deception, he utilized that doctrine that caused them to see that they were not immersed in him. Still religious. And they left. He, he got so bad he turned to Peter and said, will you leave also? Peter said, man, I don't got nowhere else to go. You got the words of eternal life. There's very few pastors today would do that. Very, very few. I tell you what, there's as much sexual abuse in many churches, if not more, than there is in the world. Priests and pastors taking advantage of little kids under the guise of their authority. No, the sicker-friendly thing is not a good thing when you have to compromise the person of Jesus and the Word of God. It is a form of narcissism. You might not like that, but it's the truth. And here's one that you might not like as well. The two things that have changed my life more than anything else is the doctrine of faith and the doctrine of grace. Faith that says the will of God is found in the Word of God. Entering into the wisdom of faith. I believe faith is a doctrine, not a movement. It's changed my life. I went from a person of inability trying to make it work to a person that has grown in faith as the Bible says your faith grows exceedingly seeing the faith that Jesus has given me by his blood. Jesus said it's according to your faith. Jesus said without faith it's impossible to please God for you must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe in faith but then there are those who have taken faith in a narcissistic fashion to get, get, get well, God wants to give, give, give. But he wants to give in response to you being a giver, not a taker. Yeah, I want six houses and not five. I want four cars and not three. I'm, faith is a doctrine of the heart of God. But I tell you what, when you make it about you, your faith and your deserving this and you're deserving that you don't deserve nothing and neither do I it's by the mercy of God and now we've got the, the, the doctrine of grace has changed my life caused me to be truly humble caused me to understand the unmerited favor of God and the divine ability of God as a gift at the same time the way grace is taught and preached by many. It's a narcissist dream. Oh, God, I understand you abused your kid. You were abused too. God, I understand you're, you know, you're, you're doing heroin in front of your kids. God, I understand your adultery. He loves you as you are. I'm going to tell you something. God does not understand. God said this is the way, not your way. 
Grace is not an excuse to be narcissistic. It is a provision to walk in holiness. Yet God understands when you're seeking him and honestly wanting to be free and entering into freedom even as you're accountable to believe, accountable to repent, accountable. He doesn't understand it when you make a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a narcissist. It's a narcissist dream. I've counseled so many people. They're in adultery. And they say, I'm under grace. It's okay. I know it's wrong. It's okay. God understands. They've entered into sexual sin of every type imaginable. It's okay. God understands. I don't have to go to church. No, God understands. But I love to go to church because, you know what? I understand that I'm really not. It's not a necessity to do right. I'm trying somewhat. But God understands. Jesus Christ is who he is. The Bible says that those who choose sin over him, they will have their reward. Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is not a game. He's a relationship. He's not an insurance policy. And he's not a cop-out for your sin. To make you feel good when you're having sex with somebody you shouldn't. Not, not your wife. It's a narcissistic spirit that's coming into the church. Jesus said this in Revelation 12, 11. And see, you got to understand, man. Some of my best friends, my, some of my best friends have been martyred for real. Sharing the gospel where nobody goes. Jesus said this, you overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony, not loving your life even unto death. Jesus hates lukewarmness. Can't stand it. Could you live with somebody that's, that's sleeping with somebody else? Could you be married to somebody that's sleeping with somebody else? Really? Then why do you think Jesus can? Jeremiah 3.1 says, man, you come home and you see your wife in the act of adultery. And it tears you apart. But let you commit adultery of God and say, you know what? He'll forgive me. And the prophet wept. Because he said, you have no idea what it means to know Jesus Christ. Maybe that's why Jesus said, yeah, you went to church. Yeah, you did that. But I really never knew you. You know, in the last days, the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be great apostasy. And what that means is that people that once knew God will spit on God. 
Those who stood up for God will no longer stand up for God. They will exchange the glory of the living God for their narcissistic rewards. And the word apostasy is somewhat like the word apostle. The word apostle means to have a message that you proclaim. When you're apostolic, you have a message that you proclaim, the message of the gospel. Apostasy is very similar in the Greek. It means to have a God-given message that you fail to speak so you don't have to pay the price for speaking. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, man, when I come, I'll be ashamed of you. Isn't that what he said? It's in the church, narcissism. I was talking to uh, a man I respect greatly. Uh, he's uh, a presbyter in the sense that he oversees about 50 pastors in a large area. And he said, Michael, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, half of these men, he said, they struggle with porn. He, he said, they, they are just, it's about them. They're fighting for position. They don't want to deal with sin and there's so much secret sin. He said, this breaks my heart, man. And I said, wow, do you, is it really that high? He said, at least 50%. They're struggling with a narcissistic spirit. It's all about them. And when I bring something up that, you know, this is hurting your wife, this is hurting your kids, they say I'm only human. And I always tell them, he said, that you're not only human, Jesus is in you, you're supernatural, and you're accountable to live right. It's amazing the degree of narcissism that's in the church. Pastors feel entitled, man, to... Uh, be, you know, be treated this way, this way, this way because of their position. Now, the positions to be respected and even submitted to in the context of a godly order. But I want to tell you this. A church isn't a place to get your carnal desires fulfilled regarding identity. It's a place to serve. And there are so many churches today that have let non-absolutes come into their congregation. Doesn't matter what you do sexually, you can lead worship. Doesn't matter what your view is on eternal life, that you believe that, you know, the blood's not sufficient or that you, someone doesn't have to be born again. Hey, I'm okay, you're okay. I don't want to lose these people. To think, I don't want to offend them by saying there's one way to heaven. I don't want to offend them by believing in traditional marriage. I don't want to offend them by saying you could have a narcissistic spirit. I don't want to offend them by saying we need to seek God more. I don't want to offend them. Can I tell you something? Then what, but you don't worry about offending God, do you? Because it's all about you. A narcissistic spirit is endeavoring to destroy the church. Hmm. You know, Hitler had a narcissistic spirit. He wanted everyone to be like him, 
to create a super race. There are nations of the earth right now. They want to control. They want to dominate. They will destroy other nations by the millions so they can enter in to controlling them. You'll see it more and more in the last days. Mm. In, in our remaining time, I, I want to share a few things. One, I want to share in the context of children. Then I want to share in, in the context of God's provision. Children need to be raised in the fear and admonition of God. They need to be raised in absolutes. They need to be raised in a way that they don't get everything that they want without paying the cost. If there's anything that will cause a spirit of narcissism, it's when children are taught that they are entitled to something that they haven't worked for or they don't have to pay a price to enter in to rewards, but they can receive them either by not paying a price, by mean daddy just giving it to them, or by lying, manipulating, just like sometimes mom or dad. In Psalm 23, there's a simple paradigm that's very contrary to narcissistic mentality. And we need to give it to our children. Psalm 23, we, we read a lot of funerals, and that's okay, but we need it to read, honestly, to read it during our lives. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice this. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. It's about him. And we need to impart this to our kids. God is good. And apart from grace and mercy, man, it doesn't work. God is good. He loves us. He wants to bless us. But then here's what's next. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house forever. You've got to raise your children in a way that you prepare them to go through things the right way. Not around things, through things. I like role play. I don't care if a kid's nine, role-playing that, you know, if stranger danger. Role-playing different scenarios that they may encounter, whether it's being bullied or even the temptation to bully. Role-playing what happens when someone offers you drugs. What happens when, you know, uh, like I said, years of decades ago, I, my wife and I started a crisis pregnancy center. One of the things associated with that is we... Uh, do uh, sex education in public schools, Christian schools, churches. And uh, we started out high school kids 
Then we went to junior high kids. And then we brought it all the way down to fourth grade because different guidance counselors that I was personally acquainted with said, you know what? There's kids in fourth and fifth grade giving oral, entering into oral sex. We need to program now, fourth grade. Mm. You, you need to role play when a kid asks somebody at a fifth grade party for oral sex. What do they do? They understand that this is what's going to, they're going to deal with it. In the role play, what happens when they're offered drugs? What happens when they have an opportunity to cheat on a test? What happens when they have an opportunity to get something the wrong way? What happens when they feel bad to do a drug to try to self-medicate? They've got to learn that they have to do their own science project. You can help them, but they've got to put in the work. They have to learn, man, that sometimes you're not going to make the first team the first year you go out. And you don't quit. They've got to learn, you know what, that Jesus Christ suffered. They've got to learn that there's people, man, dying for their faith. And they don't run away from God. Or they don't get whatever they want in a day. We have to teach our kids by the life that we live. To go through the valley. Man, there are times when my wife and I minister, we didn't even have food to eat, man. We had to trust God. And we told our kids we're going to believe God. Yeah, and sometimes you just have to ask somebody for help. But sometimes, man, you're just, it's not what it's, you, man, you don't have a coat for your wife in the wintertime, man. And we tell our kids we need to trust Jesus to help us. And they learn that Jesus never fails. But sometimes it looks like he is. But it's all right because it'll be all right. The opposite of narcissism is unselfishness. One of your kids asks and says, you know what? How come, man, uh, you know, this kid, you know, is so bad. He, he, he hurt. He's a bully. And, and yet the coach put him on the first team when he shouldn't be on the first team. And man, I, I've been trying the best I can, and I'm on the second team. And we say, you know what? We'll keep believing God. But here's the deal. You bless God on the second team. You learn to bless God no matter what situation you're in. Pray for the kid on the first team to change his life. Mm. And you and I have to live right. We have to live right. Because what you read, your kids will read. I always tell men this. Real men don't look at pictures. They read the book. They will do what you do. They will do what you do. You run out in your wife, they'll run out in theirs. All right. And that's... You got to raise your kids in unselfishness, but yet in assertiveness and standing up for truth and in faithfulness to God. Living by faith that God will come through. But there's a battle at times and living by grace because it's about his strength and not yours. Real grace, not sloppy grace, that gives an excuse for filth 
but gives a provision for freedom. All right. Now, I said that I want to share now the provision. One, you've got to realize that this is not a game. You can lose your community by not praying. Man, there are communities right now, 15 minutes to the north of me, 15 minutes to the south, that gangs have literally come in, literally, from big cities. And, and many start out in malls. And uh, you know, I've been on the Heroin Task Force, and I didn't even know this until I was involved in the task force that they come in, they give these kids heroin. Man, people give out heroin now like they give out cookies. Kids in the mall, they're struggling with their identity. Man, mom just left the house. Man, they just messed up in school. And they take a hit. You know that 20% of kids that take one hit of heroin could be addicted to life because of predispositional factors and biologically. They know what they're doing. <clears throat> you and I have to pray and then stand up. <coughs> we have to do what we have to do. But first, you have to acknowledge what's going on in society. You have to acknowledge the battle and that you're responsible as a believer to get engaged in the battle and fight against it. Man, David was given grace. He was graced with supernatural power to kill a bear and then a lion and then Goliath under the old covenant, a young boy. How much more into the new covenant are we graced to intercede for our nation? Every day we need to acknowledge the battle, this demon of narcissism. We need to intercede for our nation to have the right leaders Intercede for our nation that the spirit of the gospel will take hold. A lot of times when things look worse is when God comes through. In the 70s, I know every magazine it seemed that there was is God dead. God is dead. And God brought a revival because people prayed. The Jesus revolution. I believe that there's another one getting ready to come if we intercede. Acknowledge the battle. One. Second, get the narcissistic filth out of you. You can't pray against something if it's in you. Understand that you're meant to be submitted to the truth of Jesus Christ, and it's a privilege. And where you think you deserve this when it's wrong, or you deserve to do this, to get this when it's wrong. You need to repent from a, a, a true heart and say, God, get Egypt out of me. Yeah, I, I left Egypt, but Egypt's still in me. Take Egypt out of me in Jesus' name. Get right. Get immersed. Even right now, just say, Jesus, immerse me. Cause me to be on fire. So you acknowledge the problem, the narcissistic spirit. 
You enter in the making sure it's out of you. Then you enter into intercession. Intercession, man, it prepares the ground. It enters in. Woo, I mean, the, the, it, when you intercede for hearts to be receptive to the gospel, Man, you pray for your nation for right leaders to come into vogue. You pray for your neighbor, man, who's maybe they, maybe he's on some list because he abused somebody. Maybe he's a bad guy. But you intercede that his heart will change. You intercede for heart changes with, with, with tears, taking time. Even when it seems like in, when the devil says, man, you don't have time for it. That's when you do it most. So again, acknowledging by wisdom the problem, the narcissistic spirit, entering into a place where it's out of you, then intercession. Then you enter into making a decision to stand up against the narcissistic spirit, the evil, the non-absolutistic mindset, that which is politically correct but hell, hellish, that which is the majority opinion but so wrong and you take a stand against it even when there's a price to pay. Well, I might lose my job. Well, you know what? The Bible says wise as a serpent, you know, but gentle as a dove. You do what you can not to lose your job, but guess what? But you may lose your job at an institution of higher learning because you believe in absolutes. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus Christ will back you up. You make a decision to pay a price. You make a decision to pay a price. You might be ostracized from the elitist club because you believe the only oath you take is the oath to serve Jesus Christ and no one else. You may lose something, but you will gain the favor of God. Number five, you do what you need to do. You run for your local school board. You confront issues. When, when, when someone says, you know what? We're going to uh, let this happen when you know it's bad. I, I had uh, in our local community, there was a, a, an establishment that was going to bring in, the, it was Girls Gone Wild. They, they take off their tops and they take pictures and, and this and that. And he said, I, and the guy, the, and, and the proprietor said, I need the money. I said, if you bring it in, I'm going to tell you something. I really believe in my heart. First of all, I will have every church in this area that believes in Jesus Christ. And to my surprise, the woman's group on campus aligned with me and said it's degrading to woman. They said, we might, you and I might not believe in, to get in regards to certain things, but we're going to come together. We stood up and it never took place. And I told the man that was a proprietor, I said, if you ever try to bring this again, I'll tell you what, it will be to your detriment. And you know what? It helped him. I said, do right, your business will be blessed. Do right. Right's better than wrong. That's exactly what I said. You need to have corresponding action. 
man, when you know that uh, the football team, a lot of the guys are meeting at a at somebody's house that's even reputable and there's drinking there, you set a precedent. You don't let them go. You tell your kids that right's better than wrong. You enter into a place of being willing to pay a price and then literally standing up in wisdom in unselfishness for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what's right. You might come up with an advertisement on a billboard. You might come up with a slogan. You might come up with whatever. And it might change a community. It might change a nation. Lastly, you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evil will prevail where evil is not confronted by the gospel. The way to destroy evil is to enter in the people getting saved. Because the only provision for the destruction of the evil nature is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not Islam. It is not Buddhism. It is not Hare Krishna. It is not universalism. It is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ was the perfect sin offering. Nobody other than him is perfect. Only Jesus Christ became sin to destroy the sinful nature of man. You share the gospel. Even under eternal life. Not legalistically, but as a privilege. As I close, I want you to know this. This is a warning. This series is a warning to you to confront the spirit of narcissism. If you see it, if it's destroying you, to just not let it destroy you. If you see it starting to work in your kids, to address it. Address it in your own life. It's a call. Not only to battle, but wisdom in the battle. So that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, is exalted. And not the fleshly, narcissistic desires of man. Jesus Christ will confirm you because he died so he could empower you. And I want to let you know this. The life that Jesus gives is unlike any other life. And the most amazing thing is like Mary in Mark 14. And she broke that vow. And she poured it over Jesus, that oil. She didn't care what people thought. She only saw the need of Jesus to be strengthened before he went to the cross. She lived to minister to him. Jesus died to give you the privilege to minister to him. And in turn, he ministers to you. But the greatest way he ministers to you by giving his life is by giving who he is 
by grace to be your inheritance. His love, his character, and his victory. And I want to close by praying with you right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God, I curse you, devil. I curse the spirit of narcissism. I curse the lie that it will reign on the earth and superimpose itself and negate the spirit of Jesus Christ. I loose the glory of God. Lord, you said the earth will be filled with your glory. I loose the glory to negate the narcissistic spirit where people would see that the only life worth living is the life that Jesus gives. And they will enter into the fear of God because only you are the truth. But Lord, you give truth not to harm, not to take away, but to give life. Spirit of narcissism, we say in Jesus' name, the church of Jesus Christ, the real church, is being empowered to destroy you and will. And we say the truth is greater than a lie. And the life of Jesus Christ is infinitely greater than a life of narcissism. 